0: Hey, Thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to, to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing uh, church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. So uh, We uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three Service times: eight o'clock, nine thirty, and eleven, and uh, on Sunday morning. And so, if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula, we would love for you to come and check us out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter ten. John chapter ten. John chapter ten. We're um, we're going to be continuing on in the series of heritage, and this morning we're going to be talking about shepherding your family. And um, before you zone out, those of you that are single and don't have kids, um, or those of you that are married and don't have kids, um, this is for all of us, the entire family of God. As Christians, whether you have children or not, whether you're married or not, you are part of the family of God at Coastal Community Church. We are interdependent upon each other to care and discipline ourselves and each other for the sake of godliness. 1 Timothy 4 7 says, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. Therefore, it is our responsibility to help each other with our marriage and our children. We're going to be talking about children today. And uh, Pastor Sean did an incredible job last week of setting it up. And he talked about the idea of heritage means discipleship. It's the idea of discipling. And we're going to continue on with that theme. As we look at the word discipleship, the root word of it is where we get the word discipline. Discipline. So we're going to be talking about discipline and the idea of how do we discipline. And we're going to do it by means of shepherding because God wants us to shepherd, not only be shepherded, but God wants us to shepherd in the family of God here at the church. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's pray. Precious Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus, and we ask, Lord God, that everything that is said here would bring your son Jesus honor and glory, that everything that we learn that you would take and, and impact our lives and change us and transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for every person here. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them, you would encourage them, you would uphold them, Father God. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord God, you would draw that person to yourself this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shepherding your family. The idea of God and the interaction with his people, even in Israel, all the way back in the Old Testament, was the idea that God was the shepherd and the people were the sheep. You can see that motif carrying all through scripture. In fact, there's many books been written on the subject And one of the things that the sheep um, do is they hear their shepherd and they follow their, I mean, they hear their shepherd and they follow him. And the idea is is that God takes care of his sheep. If you've ever seen sheep, they're not the brightest animals in the world. In fact, they're quite dumb. And um, there's some different books out there, there's a guy named Keller who wrote a book, Philip Keller, and he wrote a book on shepherding. He was a shepherd and he wrote a book on shepherding sheep. And he made the comparison of the way that God shepherds us. And the reason that I want to start here is before we actually get into the idea of parenting or sharing, we need to understand the whole motif of shepherding. And that we ourselves are being shepherded. That if you're a believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are a sheep in the pasture of God. And we have a good shepherd. And so we are being shepherded by God. If you have your finger, keep it in John chapter 10 and turn over to Psalm chapter 23. I'm going to read that. It's often read at funerals, but there's so much there for us, the living. In Psalm chapter 23, David talks about the fact that he is shepherded by the Lord, the good shepherd. When he says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a banquet in the presence of my enemies. That's what the King James says. My cup runneth over. I've just lost my place. You prepare a banquet in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that a beautiful passage? David understood this as a shepherd. He understood that the Lord, God, was shepherding him. Jesus takes that same motif here in John chapter 10, and he talks about the shepherd and the fact that there is a shepherd and that you're still being shepherd. It's not just an Old Testament thought. It's a New Testament thought. It's one for us today, that God is our shepherd that God loves his sheep and he cares for his sheep. And in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see that Jesus once again, the apostle Peter writes that God is that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. You can see it in John chapter 10, and we can also see it. So if you have your bibles, turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. He's talking to the elders of the church, and he's saying that you need to shepherd the sheep. So keep your fingers in John chapter 10 and turn back on over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He's talking about the church exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not di- domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? He's talking to the elders of the church that you elders are to shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ. You know at Coastal Community Church we have elders and they shepherd us. Now what does it mean to shepherd? Let me give you an illustration. It's this idea that the shepherding really is providing riverbanks. Think about a big river. It provides the riverbanks of the way that the river is to go. Riverbanks provide, you know, they, they, they carve out for the river where the river is to go. And the riverbanks say, this is where you can go, river. This is where you can't go. If a river doesn't have any banks, you have water flowing in. And the water goes everywhere. It becomes a lake. It becomes a pond. It becomes a cesspool. It becomes the Dead Sea where you have the Jordan River that goes in and everything ends there. But the idea is the riverbanks keep Movement. The riverbanks guide the river and guide the movement. So a shepherd guides the movement of his sheep. He provides where the sheep are to go, as we read in Psalm twenty-three, where to eat, where to drink. He takes care of his sheep. We're going to look at that in a little in a second. But now God is our shepherd, but also Jesus is our chief shepherd, according to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And he's our good shepherd, according to John 10, 11. So we have God and Jesus as our shepherd. You are being shepherded right now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never received Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and bodily rose from the dead three days and by faith you receive Jesus Christ into your life, then you're a part of the flock of God. If you haven't done this, then you're not one of his sheep. And so you don't know his voice, you don't hear his voice. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that the natural man, those people that haven't trusted and received Jesus Christ, can't understand the things of God. Neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. Which means, translated... You don't know the shepherd. You don't know his voice. You can't follow his voice because you don't know it, because you've never believed and received it. Letter B, what is the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? If God is our shepherd, what's that relationship between him and us? Well, the first one is this, the shepherd. Letter A, the shepherd provides for the needs of his sheep. Back to Psalm 23, verses 2 And three, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You look at that and go, wow, he provides for the physical needs of his sheep. But then he says this, he restores my soul. Do you know that our good shepherd not only meets our physical needs, but he meets our emotional and spiritual needs as well? Have, maybe you're here today and you're on E. You're on E. And not because you're tired physically, but you're tired emotionally. You're tired spiritually. Maybe you've been beat up. And here, the good shepherd wants to take you and he wants to love you and he wants to restore your soul. And that's what Psalm 23 says. That's what David understood, that he provides for the needs of his sheep. If you're one of, if, listen, if you can't, if you're not one of his sheep, guess what? He can't restore your soul. It's only those that have bowed the knee to the good shepherd and say, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Those are the ones that he restores their soul. Those are the ones that he provides and meets those needs for. But he provides for the needs of his sheep. Let her be. He disciplines and guides his sheep. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff... They comfort me. In this book by Keller, he writes as a shepherd, he says you carry two things in your hand. You carry a rod, and that's to correct the sheep, to teach them, to instruct them, and you use a staff. And the staff there is to guide them. It's to keep them. So as the sheep are following you, you call them, the sheep come. The sheep don't come. You go over and you use the rod of correction to teach the sheep to come when you call them. So the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The sheep follow them blindly. Why? Because sheep are stupid. In fact, in this book, he talks about how dumb sheep are, gives some illustrations. A sheep was walking and he walked off a cliff. The other sheep didn't look down and go, wow, that's a far drop and that sheep died. No, the sheep blindly follow off the cliff and die. Why is that? Because sheep are dumb. And another story, it's this sheep, this baby sheep was, the mother had passed away giving birth to this little lamb. And this little lamb blad and bled and blad for, for more food and more food. And so he said his daughter was feeding him bottles, and giving him bottles of, of milk. And the sheep kept crying for more and more and more. And the, the sheep kept getting more and more and more and more. And finally, the, the, the little sheep, the little lamb's belly burst because it drank itself to death. How dumb. Have you ever done that? I don't know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you drink and all of a sudden this sheep drank itself to death. Why? Because sheep are not smart. They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to guide them. And so the shepherd disciplines and guides his sheep. John ten sixteen. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is the idea that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at John chapter 10, verse 16. He says this, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking of Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life... That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my own accord. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, his sheep. Nobody took his life. Often when I hear people go, well, man, they came and they got Jesus and they killed him. No, they didn't kill him. Jesus willingly went to the cross so that he could redeem us. Nobody took his life. He gave his life freely so that we could have eternal life. And so everyone that that has never received Jesus Christ, the good shepherd laid down his life for you. In fact, the shepherd now, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, stands... Between the judgment for us and the and and us stands between God's wrath poured out and us. And Jesus says, "Hey, listen! I am their good shepherd, and I have laid down my life for these sheep. He loves us. Isn't that a great thought?" Isn't that an incredible thought? That the fact that we have a shepherd who not only loves us, he meets and provides our needs, he disciplines and guides us, he lays down his life for us and has laid down his life for us. And he bodily rose from the dead. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That we are shepherded. I don't like the illustration that calls us sheep, but what's the response of us being sheep? Well, the response is very very much this, that they follow their shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What's the response of the sheep? All the sheep have to do is follow the shepherd. And what does he say? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now they came to pick up stones, to stone Jesus because he was claiming deity at that point. He was saying that I'm one with the Father, that the Father and I are the same. Jesus is God, once again claiming it himself. But the response of the sheep is to follow their shepherd. Second, the sheep are known and pursued by their shepherd. John chapter, Luke chapter 15 verses 4 and 5, it says this. What the man what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Slide. Slide. There we go. Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. In fact, it says he comes back and has a party. The idea is that the good shepherd loves his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep and pursues his sheep. You know what it's great to be pursued by God? Some of you would say, oh, no, it's really not. That's only if you're running in the opposite direction is it not great. Because here's the deal. Do you know that God, the good shepherd, always comes for you? If you're here today and you haven't been in church and you've received Jesus Christ but you've fallen away, isn't it good to know that the good shepherd is pursuing you because you are his sheep and he loves you and he wants you to come back to the fold of God? He wants you. He knows you. He knows everything that you've done and everything that you've done to violate his word and he loves you still the same and he continues to pursue you. And if you're here today and you don't know the good shepherd, you need to come to know him because he loves you and he wants you to come into his fold and he wants to pursue you. And maybe he's pursuing you now. But he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. Why? Because he loves his sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep. He, he, and, and the sheep's response is the fact that they need to follow their shepherd. You look at this passage of scripture, and we see that how God shepherds us, how the elders are supposed to shepherd us in the church, and now we make to the, the follow God's example, and we must shepherd our children. Before you're single and you turn me off, or and you don't because you don't have kids, or you're married and you don't have kids. First John chapter two verse six says. They that claim to be in Christ must walk as Jesus walked. Jesus was a shepherd. So we follow Jesus' example to shepherd our children. Now, here's the deal. I have five children. I need help. You are my help. Why? Because we're all part of the family of God. We are interdependent upon each other. It's the idea that, you know what, I need you to help create riverbanks for my kids. I can't be there all the time. In fact, as they grow, you become a significant other in their life as they get to know you. And we're to encourage each other. It's the idea that we need to go and work in the children's ministry. To go work with the fourth and fifth graders. To go work with the middle schoolers. Oh, God help us. And work with the high schoolers. Some of you are going, oh, middle school. You mean I have to help with the middle school? Yes. It's incredible. Why? Because they need to be shepherded, and the parents can't do it alone. We need the family of God to come together and to be their parents, their grandparents. They need other people in their life. Aunts, uncles, they need. You're part of the family of God and we're commissioning. When you think about when they, all the parents stand up here with their little babies and it's all cute and you're like, oh wow, that's so sweet. One of the things that Pastor Sean always says is, will you congregation help raise these children? You have a responsibility. You're part of the family of God. We follow Christ's example to shepherd them. If one of them is about to run into the street, are you going to go, that's not my kid. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. No, you're going to run in there and you're going to stop them. It's true physically. It has to be true spiritually. We have to help each other. And so don't think, well, because I don't have kids, I don't have any responsibility here. Or I can just turn off Pastor Andrew as he's talking. No, you have a responsibility to these children. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is made up of these. So now, as parents, grandparents, workers with children, dads, it's interesting, it says dads. It doesn't say dads and moms, but it says dads. Probably because I provoke my children to wrath and my wife doesn't. Don't provoke your children to wrath. And I put next to it, don't mock. You know, what's interesting is in the family of God, it's real easy to mock those that are younger than us. It's easy for other people to be the butt of the joke or humor at other people's expense. All this does is make people angry. And as Christians, we ought to do it better. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Then it says that it may go well with you and that you will live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. See, here's the deal. If you really love your children, you're going to not want to provoke them. Now, my children were in the last service. My three older children were in the last service. And I know when I get home, they're going to go, Dad, you're provoking me. You're provoking me. (laughs) Go do your chores. Dad, I'm feeling a little provoked. That's not what we're talking about. Provoking is looking at them so that they have no means. It's not listening to them. It's not loving them it's provoking them and instigating them to do things that are against the will and the purpose of God. Second thing is that we follow Christ as they follow you. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, the Apostle Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he prays to the Lord and he says, Father, I thank you that these little children, that you've revealed this to little children, he calls the disciples little children. If you're making a disciple... They and that you would look and go, man, I'm making a disciple, but they're not that they're not a little child. It's the idea that they are spiritually children, and you're guiding them and instructing them. And that's the idea of creating these riverbanks for the children. The rod and the staff, they comfort you. It's Shepherding people as you're discipling them. You're providing that. But you have to follow Christ as they follow you. I want to go through a couple of things. See, a lot of times in parenting today, what you're taught is the idea in the church is behavior modification. You want your kid to do the right thing. And I want to give you a contrast of Christian transformation. See, God wants us to be transformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, He doesn't want us to be modified. There's a big difference here because the big push is for morality. I want to push you to be a moral person. And the reality is God doesn't want us to teach behavior modification and morality. He wants us to teach our children the gospel and transformation. Big difference. And so behavior modification is about doing right. Christian transformation is about being right. Behavior modification is about outward action Christian transformation is about the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Behavior, parental behavior modification is about you obey, child. Christian transformation is we love Christ together so that we obey. Behavior modification is about being egocentric about your child. Christian transformation is about being Christocentric together. Look at my kid. Isn't he the best kid ever? He listens and obeys. It's about being Christocentric together. Behavior modification is about having a good kid. Christian transformation is about having a forgiven kid. Behavior modification is about what parents want for their children. Raising your children to be Christian, in Christian transformation, it's what God wants for my child. Behavior modification is about my child. Christian transformation it's about God's child. Behavior modification is about obeying the law. Christian transformation is about understanding God's grace. Behavior modification is I'm going to teach you what to think. Christian transformation is I'm going to teach you how to think. Behavior modification it means I'm going to give you much needed rules. Christian transformation is I'm going to give you riverbanks to which you can live by. Behavior modification is that you submit to what I say and what the Bible says. Christian transformation is we submit to what God says and what the Bible says. Behavior modification says you need to understand your behavior. Christian transformation is that we need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ together. See the difference? The difference is that Christ shepherds us and because we're shepherding, we're shepherded, we also need to shepherd in that same way. Just as Christ was willing to lay down his life for his sheep, so we ought to also lay down our lives for our children. Number 3, shepherd your children. Love through discipline. Notice I didn't say love and discipline because loving your children means to discipline them. And you love them through discipline. You love them by disciplining them. I want to give you a series of verses that are extremely important that the Bible says. And and these are often not taught in church. And so some of you are going to be offended. And some of you are going to be maybe have some angst within you. And my response is this, this is the Bible, this is what it says, we listen and submit to the Bible. And my prayer is that you would hear these verses and that God would use these verses in your life. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. Let me stop there. Lots of people in this world don't think that you should discipline your child using the paddle. And when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about beating your kid. In fact, I talked to a lawyer this week and I talked to a chief of police. And I said, how do we discipline without breaking the law? Because Romans 13 says we need to submit ourselves to the authority of God. Every state is different, but in the state of Virginia, here's what it says. You can't bruise your child. You can discipline them. You could even spank them, but you can't bruise them. And the idea is never spank out of anger and you'll never bruise your child. If you're angry, the idea is send them to their room, go cool off, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, and then go in and discipline them. Whether it be time out, and I'm not saying all discipline is with the paddle. I'm saying giving them a time out. I'm saying giving them an idea of, of loving them. It's the idea of guiding them. It's looking to discipline them, not because you're, you want them to do what you want them to do. It's disciplining them in the idea of, hey, this is where we want you to go. This is the direction we want you to walk in. I know some of you are, I had last service, I had some people that were really upset. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, my daughter, who's 15 years old, I discipline her very little. You know why? Because she wants to honor God. She wants to follow Christ as a 15-year-old. And, and Hannah Joy is just this incredible young lady. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I, I enjoy just hanging out with her because she just wants to honor the Lord. And that's not anything I've done, but God knows. It's everything her mother's done. It, and it's this idea that, no, that God is working in my daughter's life. And when she messes up, she comes to me. And I'll tell you a story. I came to her one time and I said, I am so sorry, that I lost my temper with you. It was all about me when I yelled at you and not about you. Please forgive me. And she looked at me and she said, it's okay, Daddy, I forgive you. And she gave me a hug. And it was interesting, recently, a few months ago, she lost it and started yelling at me. And she was so angry. And then afterwards, she came back in and she said, Dad, I'm so sorry. It was all about me. And it wasn't about you. See, training up a child in the way he should go, it's this idea that you are trying to teach them to be more like Christ. It's not an ego thing. It's not it's, it's an instruction thing. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Ephesians chapter 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 19, 29, 17, discipline your son, and he will give you rest. Lots of restless people out there. He will give delight to your heart. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. <laughs> that would be bad. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And then if the Colossians, and I'm gonna go down to the Proverbs twelve, one whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Let me let me let me close this part of discipline with Hebrews chapter twelve, verses five through eleven, in the way the Lord disciplines us. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. Deal with it while they're young. I, 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 like I said, I disciplined my daughter, Hannah Joy, very, very little. Her 13 year old brother, a little bit more. Ten-year-old daughter, she's kind of a saint, so not much, if you you know my family. And then now I have my two-and-a-half-year-old son, Stone. And what's interesting is it's not the terrible twos, it's the training twos. And there's a whole lot of training going on. And the idea, his name's Stone. I I thought it was indicative of, like, he was going to be a strong man. I didn't realize he was going to be a stubborn one. He's a stone, and so sometimes I gotta roll that stone. <laughs> gotta move it. Why? Because the idea is, as I wanna instruct him in righteousness, it breaks my heart to discipline my kids. I don't wanna discipline my kids, but I look and I say, I have to be obedient to what the Bible says, and I have to instruct them so that they learn responsibility. Think about it this way you have all of the rope of responsibility. When the child is born and you give them a little bit of rope and then as they're growing you're giving out little bit of rope, little bit of rope, little bit of rope, little bit of rope rope, until the point where they're going into adulthood and you're holding on to the very little piece of responsibility for life and they have all of the responsibility of the rope and then at the very moment it's done you let go at that point. That's the way that it is and you're carefully letting the rope out. Too often parents... Let out the rope for a little bit, and then they go, okay, here's the rest of the rope. I don't want to deal with you anymore. No, the reality is that we have to discipline them. We have to give them guidance. We have to give them the directions. And I'm not talking about just me and for my children. I'm talking about us and our children that are over there, that are over there, that come on Wednesday night. We have a responsibility to the next generation to leave a godly heritage for each other. Love without discipline leads to apathy. Discipline without love leads to rebellion. Matthew chapter 7, for the first one, says this. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. He's not just talking about raising your children. He's talking about interacting with other believers. Apathy is this idea that we don't care. So to love your kids and not to discipline them, they'll become apathetic. And they'll look for other things that will give them discipline and structure. I I read so many articles this week about how children are going away from the way that they're raised. And the reality is, and, and over and over again you see these parents saying, I loved my kid. I did everything for my kid. And then you go a little further and you realize that there was no discipline in this child's life. The child was the center of the parenting and it wasn't the parent or the center for the children. And ultimately, beyond that, we as Christians, Christ is to be the center of us. And when Christ is the center of us, we'll raise the children in the way they should go. But discipline without love leads to rebellion. There has to be love. And so we discipline, we love through our discipline. The focus on family heritage is discipleship. Pastor Sean was talking about that. The word discipleship comes from the same word where we get the word discipline. You cannot... Disciple others without discipline in your own life, your families, and your churches. If you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus Christ, if you've never, and maybe, listen, or you're here today and you've fallen away and God has disciplined you and you have come back and you are open and you are ready for God to say something or to speak to you, it's my prayer that you return to him today. He loves you. He, wants, he knows you. He's pursued you. He wants to have that relationship with you. There's going to be people in the prayer chapel after the service that would love to take a Bible and pray with you and encourage you and help you to come to know Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, we want to be transformed as a people, as the sheep of God's pasture. Those of you that are parents, I don't envy you. I don't envy myself. This is a hard life. It's a hard world, and it's getting harder. To raise godly men and women. And that's why we need each other. That's why I need you. That's why we need each other to submit to God, to submit to the authority of His church, and to come together to encourage and love each other and to love each other's children. God wants us to raise our children in a godly way. And it's not an easy task. It's not an easy task. But I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word of God and through the church of Jesus Christ that we're gonna see an incredible generation from Coastal Community Church of children for the years to come. That's the heritage that I pray that we leave behind. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, everything that you have asked me to say, I've said. Every scripture that you've wanted me to read, I've read. And now I pray, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take the word and you would impress it upon the hearts and the lives of the parents here. I pray, Lord God, for those that have wandered, those that are sheep. I pray, Lord God, that they would receive this teaching with open hearts, I pray, Lord God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would open their heart and they would receive you, Lord Jesus, as personal Lord and Savior. That they would believe that, Lord, you are God, that you died on the cross for their sins and you bodily rose from the dead. Lord God, I pray they would receive you by faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. We worship you now. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.